What's new with you guys? Oh, well, no, I've just been getting stuck into the garden. So we've got a nice big garden. Sorry, this is very middle-aged, isn't it? <laughs> and we've got heaps of space. And because we're only going to be here for two years, we're just going to grow fuckloads of veggies. Come the apocalypse, we'll be stuffed, we'll be sorted. <laughs> we'll be in pumpkins. Every meal, a pumpkin. Pumpkin what a treat. Seat, pumpkin curry. It's the dream. Pumpkin cereal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who wants pumpkin jam on pumpkin toast? <laughs> Apparently you can um you can buy the seeds for the prize pumpkins, you know, where people grow pumpkins to see who can get the biggest one. Oh yeah. So my sister's got the seeds for that, so she said um she's t- told me what the breed is. The breed, I guess it's a breed. Anyway, the name variety. of the type of pumpkin. The variety, yeah, right, <laughs> the breed. That'd be a horse, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, the stud. Um, the stud of the pumpkin. <laughs> well, it's a bit, it's that big. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? If you if come the apocalypse, you could grow one of those and turn it into a wow. Cinderella-style well, you, chariot. Well, you'd be the king, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, come the apocalypse, yeah. when everything else falls apart... And you're the only one alive. If you can produce mass pumpkins, that's going to draw crowds. Yeah, or even if you can just use one pumpkin for shelter. (laughs) You can charge people a rent of potatoes to come and live in safety in your giant pumpkin. Absolutely. It's going to be... It's going to be the new feudalism. It is, yeah. Pumpkinalism. Yeah. (laughs) Fruitalism, we call it. (laughs) Yeah, nice. That'd be so funny, wouldn't it? you get a massive pumpkin, chop it in half, take out all the seeds, have one on the top, one on the bottom, and you just pop up at people. <laughs> just sit crouched in your pumpkin until someone walks past. You could be like a toll like, on, the, on the main road. Pop. You need to pay the toll. <laughs> so when you, when you said cut it in half and then have one half up and one half down, I kind of imagine you popping out like kind of a giant macaron. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, I'm there. Maybe a little bit like a little bit like I'm that um, that famous scene from Under Siege. I'd be like that, jumping out of my pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Under seeds. Oh, on fire with the puns. The terrible, terrible oh, puns. <laughs> yeah, really bad ones. Bear in mind, pumpkin is most definitely not a fruit. <laughs> I don't know. Is is a pumpkin a fruit? I think a pumpkin might actually be a fruit. That was the click of you researching this, wasn't it? Pumpkin is a fruit. Well, blow me down. It was an excellent pun then. Uh, yes. Very good. <laughs> I very do, guess. I hope you... Yes, laugh. Laugh. <laughs> oh, no, 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 laugh, <laughs> There <bitch>. you go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the funny little history podcast in which we say poo-poo to social isolation by socially isolating ourselves in the same way that we've been doing for the last year and indeed all of our university careers. We exchange history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme the week in advance. But everything else is a surprise. It could be anything. It could be it could be the Romans. It could be the Byzantines. There's a high chance it's going to be a story of someone getting lost in Australia. You know, <laughs> a very a very high chance that or a shipwreck. <laughs> high probability of a shipwreck. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? The Daredevils this week. Daredevils. Good choice. Yeah, good choice. Actually, more difficult than you'd think. It was. It was a good choice, but it was a tricky choice. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you're the same as me, but I. I wanted to go beyond the last hundred years. Um, and yes. Yeah, yeah. M- most, yeah, most daredevils... I didn't want to do uh, a daredevil in the traditional exactly, sense. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't want to do a Evil Knievel or anything like that. Um, or, for example, early cinema stunt artists. I looked no. into a lot of stunt artists as well, but I thought that was a bit well-known. 
Yeah, they are fantastic. Like if yeah. you've never, if if anyone in the audience has never seen anything like Keystone Cops or The Chief, or particularly particularly Buster Keaton films, unbelievable, absolutely astonishing. Yeah, and I think Charlie Chaplin used to do a lot of his own. Um, yes, he did. Yeah, stunts as well. You know, like the, the I think because um, the original, uh, you know, the scene from Mission Impossible where Tom Cruise is hanging off the cliff doing rock climbing. I think that was originally done by Charlie Chaplin. Yes. With with no harness or anything. <laughs> what would be good is if you took that scene with Tom Cruise, made it black and white and put a honky-tonk piano underneath it just to recreate the original. <laughs> <laughs> or, then, or then... <laughs> even better, put Tom Cruise tied to a track in front of a train. Yes. <laughs> but don't let him get away. <laughs> <laughs> the black screen with the writing comes up. Will Scientology save him now? <laughs> well, let's see in super slow motion. <laughs> Ooh, don't look so young anymore, do you, Tom? That was, uh, right. that was visceral. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, stunt men. <laughs> so no, I didn't go down there. Although I did come across some interesting things. So I, I was trying to look into older daredevils. So I was trying to go further back. Um, but it didn't come up with anything particularly just exciting. Really decrepit daredevils. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So pensioners going to supermarkets. There's a coronavirus joke there. Um, but I did come up with Rave. one. I, I did find a fantastic primary source that I've stored in my back pocket for a future week, but it wasn't really appropriate for this one. And I also did come across a video of a chap called Carl Wallander. Have you heard of this guy? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. Famous tightrope walker. Um, and his sons and... Um, their sons and daughters as well I think have all been tightrope walkers so very much a family affair um, he fell to his death at the age of 78 and you guessed it yeah he was tightrope walk- walking and there's video footage Shit of it the bed <laughs> it would be ironic if he wasn't yeah if he, yeah. <laughs> fell to if his death at 68 whilst... really mundane <laughs> yeah whilst cleaning the gutters on his conservatory <laughs> <laughs> replacing some tiles yeah <laughs> having just tightrope walked um, <laughs> Between two buildings to get there. He just he just got between the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building. No idea if they're close together. Then just as he gets towards the uh, the very end, someone opens the door to welcome him in. It's an outwards opening door. <laughs> Knock, <laughs> knocks, knocks, him him, knocks him off the ledge. So then I had my breakthrough. How about you? I, I wanted to go older as well, uh, but I wanted to do something a little bit silly. You know I like silly. You do sources, mm. I do just silly stories, and I've I found a, a really good one. It's our yin and yang. You do history, I do pop culture nonsense. <laughs> I do clickbait. <laughs> yeah, you are a bit clickbait. I am the BuzzFeed article of historians, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not that bad. You're doing yourself a disjustice. A disjustice? <laughs> a disjustice, an injustice. A dis... what? Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. Fart, bugger, Harrison Ford, shit, wank, cunt. There you go, editing out my stupidity. Um, <laughs> the thing is, without context, that's all staying in. I was about to say, in an attempt to get it cut out, I've now kept it in. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes, what's right? Yeah, flipping. Oh, we flip? well, well, first, before we flip, we have a, we have a message from Giro, Ooh. our yes, French friend, who, whose job we got, who says, hey, it's me, I'm back. Hello, Giro. How are you? Bonjour. Very good, thank ça you. <laughs> Bien, ça va, merci. Et tu? <laughs> this question is really... Quel est Quelle date de ton anniversaire? Last week I went to a friend's house and he has a fireplace hearth representing the massacre of the innocent. <laughs> wow, nice. what a fireplace. <laughs> a bit morbid. Yeah. Is that, is, that in front of the, is that in front of the sex swing? <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> I was thinking more of when it's it's a really interactive display because when you light the fire, they start to dance. <laughs> I already had seen this scene in a church in Italy. This is my idea of a topic. Has it happened? Is it possible? Uh, well, I can confirm that the massacre of the innocent has happened on quite a few occasions through history, Shiro. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, because it's horrible to see. It, yes, it is. Uh, thank you for your excellent podcast. A bientôt et merci beaucoup. So, what is what is the massacre of the innocents? Because I, I didn't get a chance to research that. Oh, it's the it's it's the slaughtering of 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 the male children of uh, King Herod in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Oh, I thought it was when I was working at Waitrose and someone pushed over the fresh juices cage. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> That was a very, good joke. Very good. <laughs> it was better than I'm giving it credit for. <laughs> I'm saying that. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, <laughs> I'm just reading about it now. A, a majority of Herod biographers and probably a majority of biblical scholars hold the event to be myth, legend, or folklore. Oh, the Catholic how Church has claimed for the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not historically accurate. <laughs> Um, we maybe we'll look into that another time. I mean, it is the Bible, isn't it? If it's a story from the Bible, it's not really going to be that accurate. No. Um, right. I, I think that... I don't believe the I don't believe the fish and wine nonsense either. <laughs> We've also had a couple of people saying nice things about us on Twitter. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you to Sky Monkey, uh, Sky Monkey six 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 on Twitter, who said that was genius. Is always a good historical laugh. Thanks. Yes, we are. And uh, that's that's pretty much it for audience participation. Right? Should we flip something? <laughs> We've had a number of people suggest corona, um, suggest pandemics as well, haven't we? We have. We said That's we weren't going to do it, one. but the audience has spoken. So it, it probably won't be next week, but I think we'll do it the week after. When more people are dead. <laughs> so it'll, well, it'll feel more relevant. Actually, you know, because we discussed... Well, <laughs> well, yes, it'd be more historic. We did have a quick word about this, didn't we? And what we'd like to do is to make it interactive, a little bit more interactive. So send us your suggestions for... Things that you can learn about. Send us your coughs. <laughs> yes. We, we want to hear your send coughs. Send us your samples, and <laughs> <laughs> we'll spread them around a little yeah. bit. We'll do the taste test. Um, no, <laughs> please uh, send us send us uh, any examples of what you're doing to keep yourself entertained whilst you're locked inside. If you are in a part of the world that's locked inside, I think most of our listeners <laughs> probably are, or in prison. And if we get videos of people <laughs> wanking, they are going to get handed to the police. <laughs> if, okay. we, if we get videos of people wanking, they are going to get handed over to our Facebook account. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, difficult one, that, isn't it? Because that might be what they secretly want. Yes. Hmm. Or will they? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, so yes, something. Send us. Inf- yeah, tell us about what you've been doing at home that's relevant to history. Yeah, anything please. historically interesting you've been reading or watching? Any box sets you've yeah. been binging? I'm going to go back and rewatch HBO's Rome, which is fucking awesome. It's an amazing uh, two series. Good? Yeah, I, I well, I really oh. enjoyed it when I watched it a few years ago. So I need to go back and check that out again. Ah. So, um, so yes, we'll be doing pandemics in a couple of weeks, but we want to hear from you, the audience, to try and make it something a little bit more positive and to find out what you're up to, how you're spending your days. Because, um, yeah, it pro- I mean, it probably is just going to be wanking, isn't it? That and pot noodles. Right. <laughs> Did you just say wanking in pot noodles? No, wanking and pot noodles. Oh, OK, fair enough. Yeah. Um, OK, um, I've been doing gardening, Sam, uh, but then... Have you? You've been... We're, we're different, aren't we? Pulling... <laughs> Have you been pulling your parsnips, Tom? I have. I've been having a good tug on my marrow, haven't I? 
<laughs> grabbing the brassicas with both hands. Sowing my seeds I have in the garden. Oh. Making sure your bean poles are all erect. <laughs> have you, sir? Have you? Have you? Hey? <laughs> hey? Have you been sitting? I'm walking down the street checking on people who should be what self-isolating and I could not help but notice that you're in the garden <laughs> sowing your seed. Self-isolating, sir, is not the same as self-fornicating. If you could please keep that indoors, <laughs> that'd be much appreciated. <laughs> it'd be much appreciated. Do this again, sir, and I will have to lock the park. I <laughs> will <laughs> So, yeah, what are we flipping? Um, I've got a toy Yourself. car. I've, I've already flipped myself. If you want to be a real daredevil, you should do a backflip off your bed. <laughs> I live in a oh, very old which, house which, with very which fragile side your floors. Neck, <laughs> which side your neck will break? <laughs> I also live in a very old body with very fragile vertebrae. Um, <laughs> hang on, I'll, give me one second. I'm going to go grab a toy car. We can flip that. Right, I'm back, and I have. You're back. I have a toy Ford Capri, which is a car that I used to own. Oh my but... god, you're so such a nerd. <laughs> is it says, have you? Have you? Cut... Says the guy. It says the guy with the red dwarf starship. <laughs> have, you, uh... have you? Have you cut like plumber's tape and put it across the top to make it look like your old Ford Capri? Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't. White but I strips. might. <laughs> So for anyone in America, the Ford Capri was an old British, um, really crappy sports car, muscle car from the 1980s, which was used as a getaway car in loads of loads of films and quite often got crashed in them. <laughs> so You had one that was nicked, didn't I you? I had one that was nicked two days before my wedding, yeah. I love oh, is that right? That two days before your wedding? Anyway, so I've got a toy one, and in homage to the movies where they were always driven by stuntmen and crashed into... Uh, Piles of cardboard boxes and wheelie you shoved bins. shoved a Lego man in. <laughs> well, we're going to flip it and it's going to end up on its roof. So, oh, right. <laughs> do you want it to land upright or on its roof, Tom? I want, to, I want it to land on Tom Cruise. Okay. No, I want it to land upside down on its roof. Okay, here we go. Oh, you win, Tom. You win. Right, uh, I'm feeling quite tired, so I think I will go first oh, good. today. Excellent, and I also have three pages worth of notes. Superb. I like it when you're tired because it means that I can just talk in silence whilst you sleep through all of my jokes. <laughs> and then you can edit in. I can edit copied, in laughter from a previous laughter. episode where you're slightly more on the ball. <laughs> anyway, I've already discussed, I've already told you where I sort of started off. In the end, I had a breakthrough when I started thinking about the origins of dangerous sports and I began with pole vaulting because I knew that had quite interesting and reasonably well-known um, routes and for those of you who don't know the sport evolved out of a way of negotiating marshy areas around the North Sea namely in the Friesland area of the Netherlands and the Fens in eastern England so not far from where I am in Cambridge and these were drained by man long ago by creating channels of water and the dikes in Netherlands are particularly big, imposing, and wet. <laughs> um, com- <laughs> <laughs> competition started in around the 1800s, and a more traditional type of pole vaulting. <laughs> Sorry, it was such a sh- shitty cheat joke. <laughs> I know it was. But I'm really, I'm really no, pleased. That's why I... That's why I just tried to carry on straight through it because I knew it was shitty. So I was going to say it anyway and then just carry on talking. Um, 
So competition started in the 1800s and a more traditional type of pole vaulting called Fie Le Jepin still takes place in Friesland to this day, which is rather fun to watch. And there are videos of it on YouTube. Yes, and it's, it's good, isn't it? I've, I think I've seen some yeah, videos, yeah. Yep, so um, contestants run up to a pole that is placed in a, an area, like a canal, some area of water, and they jump onto it and they've got to try and get the pole to the point where it's just going to tip the other way and then they've got to climb as high as they can on the pole just as it's tipping and they try and jump as far as possible. Yeah, if you get right to the top of the pole, you can just just about make it to the other side, can't you? Yeah, yeah very, very fun. few it's people do. Good fun. And you've got to be able to, you've also got to be able to jump on it with enough force to start getting it to that tipping point. So it's tipping in the right direction, not back where you came from. So this got me thinking about other stupid old games where participants put their lives at risk that have survived until today. And I looked at, um, to start with, greasy pole climbing. Um, <laughs> Again? Oof, suits you, sir. Um, a sport, and I'm using the word loosely, as in the phrase, snooker is a fantastic sport. Oh, um, that was wonderful sufficient... sport. <laughs> wonderful Intense sport. Intense physical was... requirements. <laughs> so climbing the greasy pole. So it's obviously a sport, a pastime, that's been prevalent enough to lead to a well-known phrase, climbing the greasy pole. For people who don't know, meaning to pursue promotions at work to get to the top of the pile, um, where you can shit liberally on people uh, below you who are also trying to get there. And that's a direct quote from Marx. Um, <laughs> In fact, Benjamin Disraeli used the phrase when he became Prime Minister in 1868. He was a famous British Prime Minister. I think he was Prime Minister five times. No, five. What the fuck am I talking about? I don't know where the word... Three times. I think he was Prime Minister three times, wasn't he, Benjamin Disraeli? I'm now going to have to check that. Yes. He was definitely more than once. And there's a particularly good example of a greasy pole competition that still takes place. And that is the Queen at the Queen's University at Kingston, Canada. They have a greasy pole that was stolen from Toronto University in 1955. So it's an American football post. And the pole sits in a, in a quote, greasy pit. So grease pit. And traditionally, the grease pit was filled with all sorts of revolting things. And spectators <laughs> could throw things at the participants who were trying to climb the pole to reach a tam that was nailed at the top. And by revolting, I mean horse shit, nice. animal parts, nice. and axle grease. Ah, that sounds uh, fine. Yeah, it sounds nice, doesn't yeah. it? Um, and you basically have tomatoes thrown at you while you're doing it. <laughs> nice. And that still that takes part. Oh, the, a, a more sterilised version of that still goes on. Um, there's the Cooper's Hill cheese rolling, which is very well known in, in the UK. Yep, quite famous. Yep, that's quite famous. And again, for people who don't know, this takes place every year on Cooper's Hill in Gloucestershire. A double Gloucester cheese is rolled from the top of a very steep hill, which is one in three, and competitors volunteer to chase it to the bottom. The first person at the bottom gets the cheese. <laughs> volunteer. I like you had to say volunteer. Local criminals are press ganged into running down the hill after this cheese. <laughs> In a kind of battle royale. <laughs> yeah. They've also got spikes attached to their heels. Immigrants. People have been caught trying yeah. to get across the Mediterranean. Yeah, the winner gets the cheese and citizenship. <laughs> and to see their children again. Um, first Why do you keep on going very dark this episode? <laughs> and the first written evidence of the cheese rolling competition is from 1826, but there's um, strong evidence that it was been it been going on for a long time before that. Large, largely the smell, because <laughs> <laughs> of, of the massive pile of rotting cheeses <laughs> at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> Archaeologists have investigated the pile of rotting cheeses and established there are thousands. Yes. <laughs> 
there are a few other um, silly events that I uh, that I came across. There's the Ottery St Mary Flaming Tar Barrel Run. Oh yes, that one? Uh, yes, I've been to it. Have you? As a spectator. Yeah. Well, does, is it fun? If you like watching people running along with flaming barrels above their head, it's it's literally a barrel of laughs. Yeah. And who if that's doesn't? Your bag. Who wouldn't want to see that? Yeah. But I, I I've eventually settled on medieval English mob football. Supposedly the origins of modern day football. And these games of football were brilliantly crude and simple. Basically, two teams of who co- who cares how many people, so often in the hundreds, attempted to get a ball often an inflated pig's bladder or something similar, to marker at either end of a town or something similar. It's usually parish versus parish or one side of the town versus the other side of the town. And the rules for these events were basically no killing or manslaughter. Everything else was fair game. <laughs> and they just turned into a massive mall. Like no, ki- no killing or even accidental killing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, there have been some rather serious injuries at these events. And it just turns into a massive mall, to use a rugby term. And ball games, right, they're as old as the hills, aren't they? So there are plenty of historical references to people playing some form of football um, in in England. In Matthew Paris, who's a famous English chronicler from the 13th century, quote, four and twenty bonny boys were playing at the ball. He kicked the ball with his right foot. Mm, isn't it? Marvellous. <laughs> um, Small peasants in the park, jumpers for goalposts, <laughs> isn't it? Marvellous. Feudal Town 3, <laughs> Plague United 1. <laughs> Fresh fingers for dinner, isn't it? No, can't afford it. Marvellous. Um, in 1314, the Mayor of London banned football in the streets. Quote, For as much as there is a great noise in the city caused by hustling over large footballs in the field of the public form, from which many evils might arise, which God forbid... We command and forbid on behalf of the king, on pain of imprisonment, such a game to be used in the city in the future. Oof. This is clearly the equivalent of uh, of the grumpy old man who lives at the bottom of the street who <laughs> yeah. used, used to knife footballs that were kicked over his over his fence into his beautifully manicured lawn. <laughs> One too many inflated pig's bladders sent through the window of the palace. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So here's a, here's a 1321 dispensation from the Pope to, quote, to William de Spalding. During the game at a ball, as he kicked a ball, a lay friend of his, also called William, ran against him and wounded himself on a sheathed knife carried by the cannon so severely that he died within six days. Bloody hell. <laughs> a bit like playing five-a-side in London. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> Did you diss me, mate? What are you doing, yeah? All right. It's a high tackle. Uh I don't know where that went. Accent went, um, or to what, or to what sport that accent went towards. It went <laughs> went towards an Irish rugby fan. Anyway, <laughs> there were lots and lots of references to football in the 15th century onwards. Henry VIII even owned a pair of football boots. Believe it or not, uh, Adidas Predators. So. Right. <laughs> uh, and in 1835, playing football in the street was actually banned on public highways, and this actually led to the death of most. Uh, mob football games but you know the best bit about this because they were just played down a town street weren't they they were just played yeah it's just a bit it was just a brawl in a, in a local town street absolutely um and they were banned and so they were banned in 1835 but the great thing is many of these mob football games are still played today and they are still totally bonkers <laughs> um you, you presumably have seen some of these haven't you i yes i have yeah i can't remember any of the names of the traditional matches but there are matches that go back like annual matches that go back centuries and centuries and centuries 
Absolutely, absolutely. So I've picked out a few of the lesser known ones then a few of the more famous ones. The, um, scoring the Hales has been taking place in Northumberland since at least 1762 and I looked at a video of that and it looks a little bit quite lame. Cornish hurling is a variation of mob football still played today um, and apparently it's considered to be by many the Cornish national sport many other people disagree simply because Cornwall isn't a nation <laughs> <laughs> so can't have a national Ooh. sport <laughs> um, there are records of this as far back as, this, as the late 17th also, we century we also know that the Cornish sport is mining and whinging about tourists <laughs> apparently there's Cornish wrestling as well have you heard about that? I didn't research it but apparently there is such a thing as is that Cornish when you wrestling get two, you get two wrestlers and then you put them in a large baked good with a small pastry divide with down the middle. <laughs> I was thinking you get two fat lads, you take them to Greg's three minutes before closing and you say there's one pasty left. Uh. That's Cornish wrestling. <laughs> um, so Cornish people will try and tell you that Cornish hurling is subtly different to mob football with different rules. Subtle. But as far as Subtle yeah. is the key. <laughs> Yeah, as far as nuanced. I can see, it's nuanced. It, it, it is very nuanced because I could not see any difference. So I think that's a load of old bollocks, really. Load of old bollocks. Load of old shit. Right, load of old bollocks. That is. What I do think is weird is that uh, the ball in Cornish hurling is basically a cricket ball, but made out of sterling silver with an applewood centre. So basically, <laughs> mm, delicious. <fucking> hard. <laughs> Uh, you imagine hurling that at, imagine having that hit you in the back of the head <laughs> crikey why silver and why applewood but why silver no idea no, no idea and I also like this fact there is a set of three Neolithic stone circles in Cornwall called the hurlers and according to local myth these stones are men who turned to stone for playing a game of hurling on a Sunday the day of our lord oh. there you go Good. This is full. Of, I full of not full of information this week, Sam. I've got shitloads of stuff here. Dude, you have got yeah. You're I'm cramming on it. it in. I know on the ball. There are also some medieval mob matches that still play today in their original form, and yes, they're violent mob affairs. One of the most famous is the Atherstone Ball Game, which takes place in Atherstone, Warwickshire, and this has apparently been going on since 1199. Wow! It's so raucous that the local businesses board up the windows in preparation. <laughs> And there are plenty of videos of this online, which we should probably share next, uh, after this uh, episode goes out. Yeah, send and me it some looks links like and I'll put great, them up. Yeah, it looks like a great day out if you're a yokel juice head or a local rugby lad who loves a fight or a chav looking to kick someone when they're not looking. Um, it's just, <laughs> watch the videos. It's hilarious. It really is hilarious. And um, lastly, there's the Royal Shrove Tide football match in Ashbourne, Derbyshire. And the exact origins of this game are unclear but it's likely, likely to be 12th century again. And this is played between the upards and the downards. Oh, the middle ards, they're like the umpires. <laughs> you're, you're, they stand in the middle. You're, it's a little bit like the big enders and the little enders, isn't it, in Gulliver's Travels? Um, the upards and the downards. Both teams have, like in a game of rugby, fat blokes fighting and fast blokes waiting to run with the ball. And if the fat blokes get possession of the ball in what's called a hug basically a mall, they pass it to their runners and they try to run the ball to the goal. If one team is ahead, what they do is they basically get all their fattest players just to sit on the ball <laughs> to stop the opposite team's opposite team scoring because they can't get it because it's under five fat people's bellies. <laughs> so not too dissimilar to a game of school rugby. Um, 
<laughs> Incidentally, many of these games were played on public holidays for obvious reasons, because people weren't working. And the majority seems to have been played on Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Day, first day of Lent. <laughs> and that, Tom, is because you're going to get flat like a fucking pancake. <laughs> you, you going home in a big, <laughs> big fat flying frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> you, mate, I would fucking squeeze some lemon on you. <laughs> you're getting covered in fucking Nutella. I want to flip you. Flip you, mate. That is uh, medieval mob football, and the best bit of it is going to be the videos that were shared, particularly from uh, for people who aren't from the UK who won't actually be very familiar with these. I think most people from the UK will have at some point seen these sports taking place. They look like good fun. They do look like good fun, and a, a great introduction to uh, modern football mobs as well. Yes, exactly. Gang violence in football, yeah. Yeah, it's a fine tradition that has gone hand-in-hand hand with the sport for seemingly nigh on 800 years. <laughs> Yep, yep. That's very true, actually, isn't it? That is very true. It does sound like the origins of this were basically two different parishes wanting a scrap. Yeah. over a stolen scarecrow. Or... <laughs> it's a great tradition in the world of neighbouring villages going, ab- going absolutely <laughs> at it. Who cut my hay bale into the shape of a cock? <laughs> you bastards. Oh, boy. Are we going to get my family together, which is basically the entire village, because we're all cousins and slightly interrelated, and, and we're going to do you for what? We are, and we're going to do it with a pig's bladder. Yeah, and next year, right, next year, we'll do your foie again, right? And for every year after. And then so on and so forth. I think there's a village, I think it's somewhere in either Spain or Italy, and uh, the two villages went to war once. They were on different sides in a civil war, and uh, one of them had a had a cannon and basically blew up the other one's church from a distance. And so to this day, every year, they still have a massive barney with fireworks, <laughs> And they spend the entire year making these homemade, incredibly dangerous, very long-range fireworks. They're on two si- two different hills on the other sides of a valley. And one day a year, they literally blitz each other with 20,000 fireworks in an effort to hit the other one's church bell. And it goes on every year. And people are still in the streets, nice. and several people a year get maimed by this. That sounds a little bit like fireworks night in New Zealand. <laughs> Health and safety, my ass. Fireworks up your ass. It's pretty, yeah, yeah. New Zealanders aren't particularly keen on health and safety. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's gone mad, Tom. It's gone mad. That's really interesting. Yeah. Very good. Very yeah. good. Right, I can go to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll wake you up when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> so, audience, and not Tom, sweet dreams. You need, you need a klaxon, don't you? You need a klaxon to wake me up at the end of your piece. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, or Chris Akabusi. <laughs> <laughs> Just squeeze Chris Akabusi under your arm. (laughs) Well, audience and not Tom, today I'm going to be talking about one of those magnificent men in their flying machines with a look at one of the earliest and I think probably funniest hot air balloonists. And you might think, boring. Floating around in the serene and peaceful skies is obviously no match for mob football or for <laughs> jumping your horse across a pile of burning witches, or escaping from a coffin full of plague rats dunked into an open sewer rife with cholera. But you'd be wrong, Tom. It's just what? as dangerous as either of from? those two made-up things. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> like, Why didn't you do those? <laughs> you were criticising me for being dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing one of the earliest balloonists, and this is the late 1700s, Tom. And if there's one thing in the late 1700s that people don't understand, it's the basic physics of flight and how that works. 
right? Other than sailing, people ha- people know how to sail a ship, but they don't really understand how wind or air works. And the first people to try out ballooning, the kind of the pioneers of the of the sport, if you like, were by and large rich, charismatic showmen who went up into the skies with nothing but oars to try and steer because fuck it, they work for boats. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, they took oars up with them to try and steer in the wind. Are you kidding? <laughs> they had no way to land and they had no warm clothing with them. They were, Tom, utter fuckwits. Are you serious? They took oars up? They did. Yeah, they take a pair of oars and... Were they, like, rowing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to all intents and purposes. And then wandering... <laughs> amazingly, amazingly, over long periods of time, it actually kind of works <laughs> but you have to give yourself like a good three or four mile run up to, to a u-turn and there needs to be zero wind <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> half half a meter per second wind and you go in the opposite direction <laughs> yep. it's, it's essentially that inefficient it's essentially like trying to turn an oil tanker on an ice rink <laughs> yep you're better off being flatulent yes <laughs> you're gonna get more propulsion <laughs> yep newton's laws <laughs> Come into more. <laughs> For every fart, there is an equal and opposite fart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For every reaction, there is an equal and opposite ripe action. Yes. That's <laughs> so childish. I know. Now, I don't know how much you know about the first hot air balloons, Tom, but I'll give you a very quick background just in case you're not an expert. And if you are an expert, go to bed. I'll wake you up when I'm done. The rumoured first hot air balloon flight was made in 1709, which is actually earlier than I thought it was, by a Portuguese priest called Bartolomeu de Gusamo, or Gusmao, sorry, who developed a system of coloured balloons for military signalling, like all good monks, he was a bit of a military tactician, which could apparently also carry him. He uh, he let himself be carried aloft by them, uh, but it was never really they have, properly... They have flags. Like someone bringing down a jet on a... Yeah, yeah, he had a little lollipop. He had two ping-pong paddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he was, had a balloon around his neck and he was just floating around, directing in the jets. Whilst trying, to, whilst trying to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, essentially he was just like the colourful men on the aircraft carriers at airports, waving his ping-pong paddles at uh, fighter pilots. I was saying. Certainly in Top Gun. <laughs> Um, But the first proven manned hot air balloon flight was in uh, 1783 and the proper hot air balloon, the first hot air balloon, was launched on October 15th and was made out of paper filled with hydrogen. Very safe, as you Mm. can imagine. Uh, It was manufactured by the famous uh, Montgolfier brothers of France. Was the chap flying this balloon just sort of smoking a big cigar? Yes, he yes. <laughs> yes, he took his most spa- he took his uh, cheapest, sparkiest pipe tobacco. Yes, yeah, and he had a, he had his, his famous flaming hat, <laughs> yes, which he ab- used to wear. Absolutely, and- <laughs> yes, and several candles for a romantic dinner. <laughs> and, a- and his fireplace. Yes, and a, yeah, and a, and a, and a long warm. fire for warmth. <laughs> Brilliant. We will come on to the ridiculous things that people took up with them in a moment. So, yes, the first pilot was a guy called Francois Pellatre de Rosière. And he was the first official man ever to fly to a lofty height of 10 metres from the ground on a tether. Wow. Yeah. But pretty, Shit me. I know, I know. It's still my beating heart. But pretty quickly, yeah. uh, 
the team. Could have climbed onto his roof and been higher. It would have been yeah. higher, yes. We're not in the particularly daredevil-esque territory yet. But the itch was uh, the itch was there and now needs to be scratched. They wanted to go higher and they wanted to go free. No tethers. No tethers. 11 metres. Yeah. Then 12. Then 12. Incremental Ooh. gains, Tom. Incremental gains. Initially, Louis XVI of France ordered that uh, the first pilots of these free flights would be condemned criminals. <laughs> What's that? Because it was considered so dangerous that the French government planned on using it as a form of particularly cruel, I have to say, execution. Execution? <laughs> What's wrong with the guillotine? <laughs> they bored of that, were they, after the revolution? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've seen a lot of people's heads be chopped off. It's a bit boring. Yeah. What we'll do, we'll put them up on a great big balloon full of fire, and when it catches fire, we'll watch them fall from the skies to their fiery deaths. It's great fun. Yeah, <laughs> fiery, splattery deaths. And then the kids can jump on their corpses. Hey, fun for all the family. Yeah, fun for all the family. <laughs> and then the scientists can nick the corpse. Yep. And do with it what they want. What's left of it? <laughs> the human soup. But um, De Rosier argued that actually this was this was not a punishment. Flying, it was an honour, and uh, so he volunteered himself as a pilot and took off successfully. Bird, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. It is. You can uh, fly high. You can look into all the bathrooms of the beautiful ladies as you saw over the houses of Paris. You can occasionally look down upon the uh, corset in the bosoms. Strange. So. <laughs> So, yes. On, so it's, on, a, it's interesting that the first thing that came to mind for you, someone having a peaceful spiritual moment on a hot air balloon, the first thing that came to mind for you is looking down women's bras. Well, Tom, I did. Checking out their cleavages. Tom, this <laughs> didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> As we will very soon see, this is related to the story. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> You'll get um, all hot under the collar. Indeed. Ooh. So yes, he volunteered as the pilot and successfully took off on the first free balloon flight on November 21st, 1783. That's the background. And pretty quickly, the bored and wealthy young men of Europe worked out that this was both fantastically exciting and a great way to find fame with ever more audacious stunts. I was going to say, in a stare at people's tits. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> and inevitably, Tom, it was a very good way of meeting girls. <laughs> Letches are us. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. What, what was the shape of the hot air yes. balloon? Was it, was it shaped like a big pair of tits? <laughs> well, do you know what? Actually, <laughs> floating oh, through the air. I need to find it now. Let me find out my phone. Because one of the things I was going to briefly mention was there was a hot air balloon launched in Australia a few years back that became uh, very, very risque. It was a very daredevil hot air balloon. And I can't find it now. Oh, no. But it was made by an Australian artist. And it was basically called... Oh, it was called the Air Whale. And it was basically... <laughs> it was basically a hot air balloon made of tits. <laughs> it was just a massive bunch of flying tits. And that is apparently art. That is apparently right. art, yes. So anyway, the uh, the young, wealthy men of Europe were looking to pick up girls. And this was a fantastic way of peacocking. Go up in a big, colourful hot air balloon and uh, and flirt audaciously with them. Now, yeah, look at me. My balloon has got up to 12 metres. <laughs> yes. You like my big balloon? Let me tell yeah. you, I'm not making up for anything with it. <laughs> they say the bigger the balloon, the more noble the pilot. If you get on my drift, which inevitably is uh, what I'm doing right now, if you wouldn't mind grabbing hold of that rope and pulling me down. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I will start to pedal. <laughs> yes. Allow me to, me allow me to uh. grow. <laughs> Furiously. <laughs> oh, anyway, so chief among these uh, 
bold young man was a young Neapolitan nobleman called Vincenzo oh. Lunardi. He was the one that had a chocolate head, a vanilla shirt, yes, and strawberry trousers. Absolutely, wasn't he? Absolutely, Tom. Yes. <laughs> Although by the end of it, he had he had a white face, <laughs> a red jumper, and brown trousers. <laughs> Um, if you if you were gonna make if you were <laughs> gonna miss gonna, that joke, I was gonna make it. This <laughs> is as good as the bourbon. Uh, uh, for a few, a few again, my imagination running wild. Just imagining a, a biscuit running into battle and a, an ice cream, an ice, an ice cream, cream high in the sky, a flirtatious yeah. ice cream. Starting to sound like a Beatles song, isn't it? <laughs> Lucy in the sky with magnums. <laughs> so anyway, Lunardi had been working in England with a diplomatic service when he heard about this amazing new invention from France, the hot air balloon, but was really frustrated to see that the stuffy old English thought that it was just a silly toy. And so he decided to put on a show. He wouldn't be the first Brit to fly. There was a Scotsman called James Titler who managed a very, very tiny... <laughs> 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 yes, James Titler had managed a, had managed a teachy winchy flight in August 1874 in Edinburgh, but it really was just a hop. So Vincenzo was going to do it properly. He was going to be the first person to really fly in Britain, and by properly doing it properly, I mean not doing it very properly at all. <laughs> because bear in mind, he was just a nobleman working with the diplomatic service. He had no idea about hot air ballooning, what he was doing, or how to do it properly or safely. Nevertheless, in summer 1784, he bought a balloon, put it on display in London, and started to promote his grand show. And sure enough, in September 1784, he filled up his balloon with hydrogen at London's Royal Artillery Grounds and took to the skies. Roll up and roll up to see a man go ten metres into the air. Have you ever seen a man raised so high without the use of the staircase to the first floor of his house or a slightly larger than average ladder? Roll up, roll up. (laughs) Roll up, roll up. Watch him as he paddles furiously. Tried getting nowhere fast. Watch as he eats five cauliflowers in an attempt to make a 90-degree right turn. (laughs) Be amazed as his trousers turn brown with effort and fear. (laughs) Because he's ten metres in the air. (laughs) Look as he bangs annoyingly into a church steeple repeatedly. (laughs) Whilst desperately trying to fend himself off with a paddle from a rowboat. Well then let's go back again. Let's go back to the let's go back to the cauliflowers. So the spectators here are basically being shat on from ten metres. Is this what you're saying with brown trousers? Well that would be the other option if the rowing didn't work, yes. Come and be come, come and be shat on from great heights. Oh alright then. It's climbing Sounds great. It's climbing the corporate ladder, Tom. It's climbing the corporate ladder. <laughs> You'll never guess what, darling. There's an event going on this weekend where you can get shat on from 10 metres. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> oh, yeah. As a German, this sounds right up mine alley. <laughs> so what happens at this point comes mostly from Lunardi's self-penned pamphlet about the voyage. So do take it with a, with a grain of salt. Wasn't very good at marketing, was he? Because pamphlets are kind of useful beforehand. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I think it probably wasn't interesting enough to write a full book about 
he only he, I think I'm sure he intended to and then got 16 pages in and thought that'll do <laughs> <laughs> um, so 150,000 people turned up to watch the voyage to, uh, and we know that that number is probably about accurate actually because uh, lots of newspapers turned up and covered it including thousands who thought they were about to witness the first high altitude death the Prince of Wales and quote from the pamphlet as great a display of female beauties as ever was beheld <laughs> What a twat. What a twat. I had a bit there with some right hotties. Uh. But you see where I'm coming from now with the uh, peeking through uh, bathroom windows thing. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, the balloon wasn't quite as strong as he'd hoped, and so a decision had to be made about what cargo to take for the journey. Lunardi's assistant, a guy called George Biggins, was tossed overboard in favour of taking two pigeons, a cat, a dog, and an enormous amount of wine. Well, it was his own fault for being such a biggin, wasn't it? Maybe if he was a... What was his name? Little, George Biggins. George Biggins. If he was if George Litlands... Exactly. It wouldn't have been a problem. If he was little Jimmy Slimfast, he would have been right in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was somewhat unfair, considering Biggins had actually financed the flight and paid for the balloon. But never, nevertheless, he was thrown overboard in favour of two pigeons, a cat, a dog, and a large stock of wine. Why? <laughs> because he had no idea what he was doing, Tom. And sure enough, as soon as Biggin stepped out of the balloon, it drifted up to the sky very, very slowly, scraping the roofs of nearby buildings as it went. <laughs> At which point, Lunardi dropped one of his steering oars in panic. <laughs> Shit, what's he going to do now? <laughs> He's only got half the control he didn't have before. He <laughs> <laughs> can only go around in circles. <laughs> So, so unfortunately, whilst he, he didn't have any control over going left or right, and he certainly didn't have any control over his altitude, since he didn't know how to fly the damn thing. Um, at one point, he got so high that icicles formed on his face, beard and clothes, and the cat froze. <laughs> wow. To which his only solution was to get riotously drunk on the wine and cuddle the dog, who was apparently busy being violently travel-sick. So there he was, romantically floating through the sky, with icicles on his beard, a cat so frozen that it was solid, <laughs> and a violently travel-sick dog, whilst, whilst getting absolutely mullered. Having a whale of a time. <laughs> Having a brilliant time. Eventually, the balloon did get low enough for him to be able to shout instructions to his assistants through a megaphone and throw the frozen cat at one of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, the pamphlet doesn't go into any further detail on whether the cat made it out alive. <laughs> but he landed finally three hours later in a field some 20 miles out of London, having actually travelled in no particular direction, about 80 miles. Quote, very cold and the dog was very wet. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, he became an immediate sex symbol. As a way of picking up women, hot air ballooning really did work very well, with women even wearing Lunardi-style bonnets which were big round hats puffed up in the style of a hot air balloon. So he, he became quite the, quite the attraction. Quite the, quite the stallion, the Italian stallion, yeah. yeah. In fact, it was Lunardi's status as a sex symbol that created the first ever woman aeronaut and inadvertently got him the title of the world's first dating wingman to boot. <laughs> because a year later, in August 1785, he arranged another high-profile flight but this time he was going to take a woman along with him, the first woman ever to take to the skies. A London-based actress, costume designer and noted beauty, wonder why he picked her, called Letitia Ann Sage. 
Sounds like a right Italian, doesn't he? He's very Italian. Hey, <laughs> bella donna. Uh, why yeah. you not come and take a ride in my hot air balloon? I've got a little cat. He likes getting cold. i got a little dog. He, he likes, likes to be, vomit. He likes to be sick. Yeah, it's a great fun. It's a great, great fun. I have... Uh, you love the whale of a time. I have a leather jacket. I have a very flammable hairstyle, which is <laughs> somewhat risky, but hey. <laughs> in for a lira, in for a pound... <laughs> Ends up on his scooter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drives his Vespa right into the hot air balloon basket. <laughs> um, of course, there were some issues here. The first issue, of course, was modesty. Nobody wanted to see a woman, even a famed beauty, having to vault the side of the basket to get in. So uh, a gate was very conveniently installed. <laughs> the second... I do. <laughs> I, I want to see her enter the ring like a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> going on, going over the ropes, yeah. Like Prince Nassim Hamid. I wanted to do. I wanted to do flip into the basket. Let's get ready to balloon. <laughs> now there's a spectator sport. The first ever hot air balloon boxing. So, Especially if they're in different hot air balloons. Oh, yeah. They're in different baskets. Joe, do you know what? I think they have just been. floating the other way. You know the, <laughs> um, the gladiator-style pugilism, pugilism sticks where you use the giant Q-tips yeah, and knock yeah, each other over? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that there has been a hot air balloon, a tightrope strung between two hot air balloons, and two people, obviously with parachutes, have done that before. <laughs> I've, I've, I've gone gladiator, gone on, the, gladiator on, the on the rope between two hot air balloons. Wow. I think that's happened. I'll try and find a video of it. The second issue here, apart from the issue of modesty, was an issue of weight. Now, you'll remember, Tom, in the first flight, George Biggins... She was fat. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Yes, but wait. Big girl. (laughs) Big girl. Standards have changed. Uh, She was a big lass. Um, (laughs) Really really large ass. She was considered a beauty at the time, you know. It wasn't quite difficult to find a lady who wasn't malnourished. <laughs> Tom, she was two hundred pounds. Who <laughs> is she? She was ninety kilograms. Tom, <laughs> crikey! See, no yeah. beauty. What was her name? I'm googling her right now. Letitia Ann Sage. That sounds a bit pornographic, doesn't it? It, it does, doesn't it? Ann Sage. Yes. In pictures, she doesn't look like two hundred pounds. That's ninety kilograms That's for our European vans. So, uh, so yes, quite. She was. She was a lot of lady to be. Uh, Carrying around a hot air balloon. Um, Whopper. How much of that was corset? How much of that was corset? I have no idea. A lot of it was hair. Almost certainly a lot of it was hair. So, yes, in the first instance, obviously, George Biggins had been turfed out of the balloon in favour of a catsicle and a puking dog. Well, now with three in the basket, Lunardi, Biggins and £200 Letitia, as she's listed on the toilet walls of the truck stop. (laughs) (laughs) Luscious Letitia. Um... (laughs) It massively threw out the weight balance of the basket. And as they tried to take off, the basket swung to one oh, side. I've seen some funny pictures. <laughs> Tom, as they tried to take off, the basket swung to one side because of largely because of Letitia's weight, and Lunardi fell out. <laughs> <laughs> Lightening the load quite significantly and sending Biggins and Letitia off into the sky all on their own. Uh... Now, Tom, what happened next? <laughs> The official account, Tom, the official account of what happened next is that at this point, wanting to preserve her modesty and the safety of the two people in the basket, Letitia knelt down to refasten the gate across the basket installed for her modesty. Whilst Biggins, Biggins. Biggins, Tom, put his hand on her head to, quote, steady her. Now... (laughs) (laughs) 
which, <laughs> which of course, his eyes started to cross. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> his balloon started to inflate. <laughs> So, 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 of course, what this looked like to the people on the ground was less securing the basket and more uh, supporting the sack. (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously, this may... What's happening to the Italian bloke at the moment? He's He's still falling through the the air. No, no, he fell out before it took off. So he was just on the ground. He was just on the ground gesticulating wildly. He said, hey, she's my girl, eh? Jumping hey, up what are you doing? Hey. Jumping up and down furiously, <laughs> stomping <laughs> the ground. Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, Leticia, why you go off with this English man? Well, his, um, name's, his name's Biggins. Biggins by name, uh, Biggins by nature, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so... So of course, the the scandal, the uh, the scandal made every front page of every paper in London and largely in Europe, and uh, made both Letitia and Biggins celebrities, and uh, and was a running joke for the rest of their lives. Neither of them ever lived it down, <laughs> which is a small price to pay for apparently becoming the first members of the Mile High Club, at least unofficially, or the or the ten meter high club. <laughs> well, quite. So, uh, so yes. Uh, an unfortunate positioning. Uh, they, in all likelihood, nothing happened, but we'll never truly know. Um, <laughs> so whilst up there, as we're standing with these hot air balloon rides, the pair got pretty hammered. They had a lot of wine, th- throwing the empty bottles over the side in an act of enormous social responsibility. It's <laughs> lobbing them down at paupers on the ground. <laughs> um, presumably, presumably, Biggins also had a cigarette. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and there was one final bit of drama on this flight when they finally landed after about 90 minutes in the air the balloon dragged across a load of farm fields destroying quite a lot of crops and injuring Letitia who sprained her ankle oh my oh oh my I do declare a load of farmers came out absolutely furious that their crops had been destroyed and started chasing the pair across the fields (laughs) waving their pitchforks and hunting them down (laughs) At which point this they is... had to be rescued and carried to safety by a load of schoolboys from the nearby and, and very famous these days Harrow School, who managed to get them back to London in safety. Good grief. What a day. What, what a farce. <laughs> what a farce. To be fair, for Biggins, that must have been the day of a lifetime. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. First yeah, time in a hot air balloon. By the girl in London. <laughs> by <laughs> London's, yeah. Most famed beauty, Tom. And then getting chased across fields by a load of angry farmers. <laughs> What a day! Whilst hammered. What happened when What happened when Biggins um, finally met up with the Italian chap? <laughs> I imagine he gave him a hearty slap on the back. <laughs> and a wink and a nudge. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it turns out the ballooning was actually pretty dangerous, as, as who could have predicted. <laughs> um in December of that year, Lunardi took off for a flight from Edinburgh but was blown out over the coast and crash-landed in the North Sea and was stranded for several hours in his hot air balloon basket getting very damp and wet before finally being rescued. What am I going to do with this paddle? What can I do? <laughs> yes. I can't I, uh, possibly get anywhere. Only I, I had can... a summer way to get back to shore. <laughs> I can see the land, but what am I going to do to and get there? Unfortunately, oh I only God. have... <laughs> 
These two are useless air paddles. <laughs> I'm going to waft it in the air. <laughs> See if I can waft my way back to land. <laughs> oh, what a predicament. What a predicament to be in. This is a sticky situation. A little half. kitty cat. You're going to have to get out and swim. Kitty cat, you swim. <laughs> you kick your legs. Hey, Rover, stop being a sick. <laughs> we need you here, man. <laughs> There we go. One one final slightly sad twist to tell is uh, is about a year later in a flight from Newcastle, he accidentally dropped some incredibly strong acid <laughs> for an experiment onto the ground. Uh, by which you mean he? I mean he literally spilled some acid. Not he took copious amounts of hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> Um, and the assistants holding down the balloon ran away all but one a young boy who got tangled and was fatally injured and as a result Lunardi had to flee the UK to Europe but there we go Tom other than that that's a happy ending isn't it maybe I'll edit that out (laughs) he acid attacked a young boy who died of the of the injuries? No, he didn't acid attack the young boy. He dropped the acid on the ground, and it started to make noxious fumes. I pre- can only presume he was going to use it to steer. Hence, hence the noxious fumes. Yes, and, of course. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Yes, and uh, unfortunately, one of the one of the boys got tangled up in the ropes that he was trying to hold down, and got uh, got dragged along, and, and and then died from his injuries. Oh, hey, so, what's going on here, Alan Lake? <laughs> <I don't... laughs> See, most of the time in Newcastle, one small boy could more than hold down a hot air balloon. Just with his massive forearms. Oh, very good. (laughs) But there you go, Tom. Apart from that slightly sad ending, uh, a story of two big balloons, a frigid pussy, sorry, and the Mile High Club. Nice. I'm surprised I didn't think of that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very I, nice. I, I did try and I did try and leave it open for you with plenty of <laughs> Just in case frozen I cat it, yeah. references. <laughs> but yes, there we go, Tom. That is <laughs> Vincenzo Lunardi, Lothario and Hot Air Balloon Daredevil. That's a ridiculously stupid story. And there were some funny images, incidentally, which we might we might also try and share next week. Yes, there was some there was some engravings done at the time where people wanted to show what had happened, but also wanted to preserve modesty. So she is no, shown bending no over, pre- but <laughs> there's certainly no preservation of modesty in this one, so. <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll love it when you see it. Uh, let me Google that now. Hold on. Do you want me to send it to you? How did you hot you... air balloon? We just. Oh wow! Is this the? <laughs> is this the one of the women with enormous breasts? <laughs> And, yeah. and an umbrella and a giant fat ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Where did that come from? Wow, wow, wow! I'm looking at that article now. Wow, that's that is quite something. Right, you, you, you haven't exaggerated this, have you? No. What you've said is actually <laughs> very true. The salacious rumours and things. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a cracking find that was. Great story. Yeah. So there we go. there we go. I'm definitely going to share that picture now. That's going on social media. But we should probably think of something to do next week, shouldn't we, Tom? I think we Daredevils is st- not Daredevils. Sidekicks is still on the list, isn't it? Let's do sidekicks. Let's do he sidekicks. Says, knowing that Sam's already researched this one because we're going to record it two days later. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> what an easy I decision to make. <laughs> so I've got to, that's going to be busy tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, yes. Sidekicks week. Yeah. Sidekicks week. Yes. Perfect. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, do let us know for Pandemic's episode, which is coming up in two weeks' time what you're doing in terms of keeping yourself entertained with awesome history things that you found 
series you're re-watching you can find us on twitter that underscore was underscore genius on instagram at that was genius and on facebook that was genius podcast you can also pop us an email that was geniuscast at gmail.com so do let us know what you're doing to uh see yourself through frankly extended bank holiday slash self-pleasure-a-thon right <laughs> and on that note <laughs> stay safe and we'll see you next week bye everyone goodbye goodbye goodbye